Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. We welcome Liz Nicholson to the show today. She is the wine director at Mialino in the Gramercy Park area of Manhattan. Liz Nicholson of Mialino Restaurant on the show today. Hey, Liz. Hi, Lovey. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. So you're over there as the sommelier wine director at Mialino in the Gramercy area, an Italian restaurant. And uh, how did that all come about? I mean, uh, did, were you originally in restaurants? Um, I was not originally in restaurants. I've been in restaurants for about seven, eight, eight years now. Um, I originally came to New York. I was supposed to be a fashion designer. Um, My first year was spent at FIT here, and then I worked a year in fashion before the label I was working on went under, and I found myself suddenly unemployed, and I decided to go back to my comfort college career of waiting tables um, just to kind of keep my parents at bay because I was sure that if I told them I was living on unemployment in New York City, they would have immediately driven out here and hauled me back to Chicago. So I thought, okay, I won't be on unemployment, but I'll just work in a restaurant for a hot second and um, I'll, you know, figure out where's my next big fashion move is. And it turned out that my next big move ended up being going deeper and deeper into the depths of the restaurant world. Oh, cool. Where did you work originally? My first job was actually at Dos Caminos, um, so it was with Beer Guest. What was and that like? Actually, it was, it was um, I, I would say that it's probably the reason that I ended up making the leap over to the dark side. Um, I had been working in fashion, as I was saying, and I was a little bit, um, I mean, I was young and I was, you know, obviously I think you come to New York with these notions of grandeur that, you know, you're in New York City and everything's going to be great and... Also coupled with the, you just graduated college, it's, you know, I feel like living in New York balanced out with the whole like, oh my gosh, I'm an adult now and I have to pay bills and this isn't, you know, I don't have my parents. And, you know, it was, it was a hard year. It was, well, it was a hard two years between FIT and that. And um, I was definitely feeling a little bit like every day could be my last in New York. And then I went to the restaurant and I suddenly felt with myself being surrounded by all these unique, interesting, and specifically creative people, which is what I probably am more along the lines of a creative person. And I think that I really connected with the fact that I got to be around so many creative different people. And then once the food and eventually wine beverage side, you know, worked its way into my heart, I really just 
found, I, you know, carved out a little niche for myself in this industry. So how did you get started with the beverage side? So I was a server and um, I... We, I was working in Dos Caminos, as I mentioned. So not necessarily a wine place, but definitely a tequila place. And we had this huge tequila list, over 100 bottles. And, you know, once I had kind of gotten over the initial shock of just understanding, you know, what was different about working in a New York City restaurant, I was very aware of the fact that it bothered me that I was dropping this beverage list on a table and that I didn't know enough about it. I see. So I kind of took it upon myself to start teaching myself about tequila, how it's made, you know, and um, just essentially learning what the difference was in most of the tequilas on our list. And uh, luckily, my chef and my GM took notice. And um, within Be Our Guest, uh, they, rather than have a specific beverage director at each restaurant, they actually um, employ a server to essentially teach the staff. Um, and so I was asked to be that person. So then I... And, embarked on this whole world of, you know, training all the new employees. Oh, okay. So as, you were training the new employees. So I was training the new employees. It was, you know, every Wednesday they'd have a, they had to have a class and it would switch flip-flop between a class with a chef about food and a class with me about the tequilas, our cocktails, our wines by the glass, whatnot. So that was the first time. And then in doing that, I also got to start being involved a little bit more with the company. And I would say that I, so I, I got to go to these, you know, I don't even remember if it was quarterly, monthly, whatnot. It was um, these meetings at our headquarters and Laura Manick um, always ran them. And through doing that, you know, she was the first person that I would say I ever, like, you know, observed and watched that was really in a beverage role. And I was so enamored by her. I was like, she's so cool. She knows so much. She's so passionate. I, I just, God, you know, and she's, I think, probably the first person who, put the bug in my head that I thought, you know, maybe I, I, I could maybe do that. You know, I could, I could maybe if this whole fashion thing doesn't work out, which at the time I was still, you know, jumping from doing little freelance jobs and uh, part-time things and interviewing and waiting for that amazing, perfect job to, you know, show its face. I was still, you know, I was doing that and I was watching her and she was definitely probably my first inspirational figure that I worked alongside of, and I don't even really, we don't really know each other that well, but just as far as somebody that I was able to watch what they were doing and say, they're, they're doing something cool. And I, I think I could do that too. And so what was the next move after, after that? So after that, I, um, went, well, I'd started kind of, um, going into Inoteca and, um, on the Lower, on the Lower East, side. East Side. Yep. This was the one they only had. Well, they had Eno and Enoteca. And obviously, Jason was um, at Lupa a lot still then, Jason Den. But um, I started going to Enoteca. And um, one thing about me is that I'm, I come from actually an Italian background. So I had, you know, my grandmother was, you know, born in Abruzzo. And um, I had grown up making gnocchi with her and um, was always very intrigued and felt much more connected to my Italian side. And as doing so, I, you know, took the language in college. I learned to speak it. I studied abroad there. And I always knew that I, and it was funny because when I took the language in college, it wasn't, it wasn't doing anything for my credits. It was like, you know, just extra credits on top of my normal course, course it, load. Is it language and sign language at the same time with Italian? It's, it is. is. It a lot of like, uh, you know, I already, this is I, this, how you say I understand <laughs> with your finger. <laughs> I luckily think that my uh, my Italian, my 50% Italian blood, the sign language was there from birth. I just needed the words. A lot of arms flapping around the tables arms. at the dinner. 
Yes, a lot of arm, uh, a lot of movements. In fact, that's why I don't like watching our video because I'm like, oh my God, somebody should have tied my hands behind my back. <laughs> Showing my tailing with my hands. Um, I had a waiter tell me that I, he thought I was going to fly away one time. He was really? like, you're like a helicopter. You use your hands so much, you're going to fly away from the table. <laughs> oh, oh, God bless those Italians. They yeah. really know how to, you know what though? It's an extra level of understanding. Oh, no doubt. Um, yeah, so I, so I took the language and... Here I was in New York, and it, you know, obviously for fashion, I was thought maybe I'll get to move to Milan because I can speak Italian. And then instead, sure, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense, you know. Obviously, Mucha Prada is going to hire me tomorrow. <laughs> um, no experience necessary. What were you last? An assistant designer? <laughs> Great. I can I can have you organize these uh, collections. Fabrics, yeah, these fabric swatches. Um, so I uh, I had you know I always kind of like wanted this in on Italy, and I never really knew. How it was going to show, and I, I'd always assumed it would be in, in the fashion world that I'd somehow, if I had this Italian background, I could do it. I could get, I could get to Milan. I could do something. But that actually really does make sense to me. <clears throat> it, I mean, that actually makes sense. It, in my mind, you know, as 19, 20 year old Liz, it made great sense. Yeah. And instead, I ended up, you know, twenty five, walking into my, uh, my, in in Oteca, cracking open this wine list, and seeing just page after page of just these. Grapes and luckily Francesco Grosso came over to help me because he, he probably, was there at that time. He was the wine director, and so it was an amazing list. And I was, well, I was a little befuddled because here I was like, yeah, I you know train all my staff over at Dos Caminos. I I know what I'm doing, and I opened this list and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Marzamino, what? And but the thing was more than um, more than discourage me. It was like it like presented itself like a challenge. I thought I'm. I thought, I had no idea there was this whole element to Italy, and I want to learn it. I want to nail this list. I want to know all these grapes. I want to understand these regions. I want to understand these vintages. I want to know what I'm talking about. And so I immediately started, you know, being like, hey, Francesca, do you think you guys would hire me? Do you think you guys would hire me? Oh, yeah? Yeah. He's like, I just came over here to sell you a bottle of wine, actually. I, no, no oh, I'm just kidding. I let, I let myself become a, a mild regular. I let him at least recognize me before I started saying you know, hey, do you think I could think I could come work here? And so, um, did luckily, he encourage you? Uh, he was, you know, it, it took a few times of dropping off my resume, and I think the last one was like, "Come on, really, put in a good word for me." But they they had, did end up hiring me, and um, I mean, before I was done with my training, I'd I'd already you know asked him, said, "Where do I start?" You know, I I want to learn this list, and he said, "You know, go get Italian wines for dummies," and I thought, I'm like. Does he think I'm some dumb girl? Right, right. Is that a personal statement? <laughs> like, is this? Is he trying to snub me? No, but I think he really likes that book, though. I just, no, he's uh, mentioned it to me. It's honestly, it's. I think it's the perfect place to start because it just touches on everything, and it doesn't dive too deep. It doesn't overwhelm. And what I always, and I still suggest it to my staff. <clears throat> and what I say to people is that once, and what I found was that as you start to read about these things, and you know. Uh, scratch at the surface. You eventually, if you if you're really interested and engaged, you start having questions that it can't answer, and that's when you know it's time to move on. And so I probably read that book through, you know, several times. But I eventually, you know, I just, you know, the Valtzelin is a paragraph, and I was like, I want to know the specifics on the Cicella and the Grimello and the whatnot. And so you just you find yourself you need to just start digging deeper than that. But it's a really great leap off point for just. Um, you know, a basic level of knowledge. And how did you move further than that? What were some of the things you did to learn even deeper about this? I honestly, I'm I, 
I, I don't mind telling people this usually. You know, sometimes when I arrive at the table, people are like, oh, you're the sommelier. I'm like, mm, sure, okay, you can call me that um, because I don't have any formal training. I've really just been somebody who part of my, my I would say my my textbook might have been in Oteca's list at the time that Francesco was running it. Because it was a great list. Was, I used to Oh, man, it was a great list. Him and Joe put together. There. Yes, that's how we met. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you were drinking in Oteca. Um, and... It was such a great list to learn off of, and so coupled between the really great wines we poured by the glass, you know, I had flashcards for everything and regularly went through them. And um, as I was reading through regions, I tried to go out and buy wines from the regions. And I just, um, I really, I I think that you just have to commit, commit everything that you're reading and learning and tasting. You need to commit it to memory because if it, if you just kind of taste something and go, oh, whatever then you're not really actually building anything. You're just drinking, frankly. And if you're not really learning about it and building a knowledge base, then you can't do anything. So that that's really what I've done. And I've... Um, it's compare and contrast. It's, it's a compare and contrast and just constant, uh, you know, you got to keep tasting. You got to remember what you taste and you got to keep reading and learning. And I, I don't know, you know, people always ask me actually when they're like, you know, you did it. You didn't, you've just kind of done this yourself. How, how did you do it? And I just say, you know, you've got to be paying attention and you've really got to be putting the effort in to commit everything to memory. And I would say that traveling also really, um, I think that it really brings wines to, to alive for you when you actually get to go to the regions and see them and meet the people who make them and start to understand the culture. You went to a uh, big, big trip uh, kind of early on, as I recall. Yeah. So after um, after I climbed the ranks from server to assistant wine director to wine director at Enoteca. Oh, okay. You, <clears throat> and that was kind of like around the Bar Milano opening time. Yes, it was. Um, in fact, that's that's what ended up giving me the opportunity within that group to grow with them is because they were opening a new restaurant, which was Bar Milano, which unfortunately they opened literally as that 2008 recession was like the impending doom. And so it only ended up lasting eight months and then they turned it into an Oteca, which is what I did with them. I I uh, transformed the space from Bar Milano, which was an all Northern Italian list, Mille Romagna North only, and helped um, shape it into a full blown Enoteca uptown. Got it. So kind of a big shift. It was a shift. You know, we, I, I got to suddenly pick stuff. up a bunch of Southern wine, Central and Southern wine, um, and had to put away, you know, go through the collection and decide what should get put away to storage as far as for space, you know, since we had such a large collection of just Northern stuff. And um, and uh, in doing, obviously, you know, anytime you uh, get yourself in a buying position, you in New York specifically, you always get to meet producers and you... Yeah. You know, people love coming to town. They want to stop into their um, the restaurants that are selling their wines. And you know, I just kind of had a lot of open invitations that were kind of like, if you if you're ever in Piedmont, if you're ever in Tuscany, if you're ever here, if you're ever there, and you know, it it's like at the time it seemed like this fantastic idea of like, God, if I ever could get there. And yeah. then, you know, I eventually started feeling like I I can't believe I speak about these wines to this level and I've never seen these soils. I've never yeah. been to these vineyards and I felt like it was something I had to do. I had to go, <clears throat> I had to see these places. So in 2009, I went over for three months. And, three months uh, is a significant amount of time. It's a significant amount of time. And day one was Valdosta. So um, I literally started in the Northwest corner and snaked my way across the North working three harvests. So I spent two, my first two months all in the North. And then the last month was this like 
it was I was very much more on the move. I I didn't end up staying in most regions more than you know two three days, <clears throat> maybe seeing anywhere from one to three or four wineries while I was there in each region. But I did end up covering the whole country except for Sardinia, and in the t- in time span of three months, and saw over sixty wineries, worked harvest at three, and um, it was really like a foundational kind of. Thing. It was a foundational, and 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 yet sometimes I'm I'm so bummed that I did it by myself because. There's so many moments from traveling that country. You know, I put four, wait, no, I put 7,000 kilometers on that car. Wait, no, four. I spent three grand in gas, put all this mileage on this car. Luckily, it was unlimited mileage, thank God. And um, I drove really that whole country. And there's so many incredible sights and just funny moments that I had that I just can't believe that I'm the only one who knows them. I wish I'd had a camera on my head the whole time. You did so I, You did write a blog at the first part of it. I did. And at the beginning when I was more, um, when I was uh, a little bit more rooted in staying places, it seemed easier, except right. for the fact that- Because of Wi-Fi and stuff. <clears throat> well, in Piedmont, I couldn't get any internet access. I had to drive to Alba. So there was there was this wine bar in Alba that I'd kind of started going to, and I had a, I had a car. I didn't need a place with Wi-Fi. I had an internet card. I just needed to get somewhere that it could get a signal. And um, and these people were probably thought I was crazy. Like this American girl who sat there for like three hours uploading pictures and writing. And they were like, who? And like, tr- meanwhile, they had a nomadic machine. So I'm like trying. I'm like, oh, well, great. I'd love to try the Bricolo Cilone. Fantastic. I'm so glad you have it by the glass. And they were like, who is this girl? And I'd like be like plugging in my phone to charge. They're, they probably thought I was nuts. But whatever. I, I eventually, though, once, especially once I had to be more on the move, I just... I, I realized I couldn't really fully blog while I was going because I had to figure out where was I going the next day, where was I staying, how was I getting there, what time were my appointments. And you were driving all the time. And I was driving, yeah. Like you didn't have someone else to switch off with you. Mm-hmm. That's a big commitment. Yeah. I think, you know, because it makes a big difference when you can just yeah. zone out. And, and then, you know, there's the whole extra fun of finding places in Italy, which if you've ever tried yeah. to find places find wineries in Italy versus finding wineries in, you know, Napa, California, where there's signs and right. everything's clearly marked. And actually, even at the very end of the trip, I was in Montalcino, and that seemed like crazy to me, the fact that it was so well marked. You know, I remember finding Radicon. The only way I found Radicon was because I knew they lived, were neighbors with Grovner, and there was no posted address sign, and the numbers were going all over the place, but it was the only unposted address. It was a driveway. And um, it was across the street from what I assume was Gravner's house because there was a bunch of M4 in the in the yard. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm willing to bet this is Gravner's house, so I'm just going to take a leap of faith and go down this driveway. And I drove down, and there was this garbage can that was overflowing with Radicon bottles. I said, found it. That's hilarious. I know. Well, I've had that same problem where there's no mark. Like, I've even had people not be able to give me an address. Yeah. I went to Listopa and they're like, well, we'll give you the Google Earth coordinates, but we don't have I had people give me address. Google Earth coordinates too. And, you know, there's only one winery I never found. And it was ironic. It's a big winery is um, the uh, um, Terra del Sevi, the Ray Manfredi in Basilicata, oh, okay, which okay. you're driving. Basilicata is like barren. Right. There's nothing to, to it's see. It's like Montana. And it's like driving around the, it's like driving around Death Valley. Yeah. And the fact that you wouldn't be able to be like, oh, look, there's a giant structure in the distance. <laughs> right, that must right. be it. I had workers. Yeah. I spent 40 minutes driving around. And at that point, I was going to um, uh, Cantina del Notayo next. And I said, screw it. I'm going to just get to my next appointment because this is not working. 
So. And you eventually made it back. You found your way I back did. to New York. Found my way back to New York. And um, I, <clears throat> I found my way back to New York because I, to be honest, I had envisioned when I left for this trip that it might be the end of my New York stint. You imagine kind of staying in Italy. Well, I was open to that idea, but yeah. I also thought that maybe I'd go back to Chicago, which is where I'm from. And I was, so I was over there and I'm actually like looking at Craigslist and some of my good friends are in Chicago are saying, this place is great and this place is great. And I'm sending blind emails, people saying, hey, you know, I work in Italian wine. I've been the beverage director here and I'm currently traveling through Italy and I'm, you know, looking to come back to Chicago in December. And, you know, I don't know if there's any opportunity no one, not a single person from Chicago ever wrote me back. No one. Not even really? for, sometimes they were for like high-end server positions. No one wrote me back. And yet people from New York were writing me saying, what are you doing? What's your plan when you get back? And so for me, I just kind of felt like, you know, I feel like I've, I've got way more of a connection and a rooting in New York. And so I came back and originally I came back to help out at Resto. Oh, okay. Which is yeah, actually, that's right. Um, a focus on Belgian beer, which after being in Italy for three months, I was like, what am I doing? But that dude used to work at Inoteca. Mm -hmm. So it's that was that. Part yeah. of the Inoteca family. And we were at the time t in talks about a, a future project that uh, never ended up came into fruition. And I, it was becoming clear to me while I was there that it wasn't maybe nearly as close as we had, and sure. as we had been in talks about while I was in Italy. So um, I was starting to think about, you know, what am I going to do if this doesn't work out? And then that's when um, I got tapped to come interview for the Myelina Wine Director position. And what was that interview like, or series of interviews? <clears throat> um, was with Terry Coughlin, who's now our Director of Operations, and was at the time the general manager. and um, Of Myelina. Of Myelina. And he's been with the company for years. He <clears throat> started as a, you know... I don't know if he started as a captain or maybe worked his way up to captain at Gramercy Tavern and then um, went to Tabla and opened it and was the GM and opened Myelino. So he's been with our company for a long time. I think has a good pulse on what our company is specifically looking for, which is essentially just energetic, passionate, excitable, warm people. And it seemed like that's what he filled the room with at Myelino. Yeah. When, I, when it first opened, I remember there was a lot of younger people who seemed really excited to be there. Yeah, I mean, Danny in his book, he talks about, you know, our company always seeks the 51 percenters with the idea that if 51, you know, 1% over half of their being is that, you know, hospitable warmth that want to, you know, take care of people, the other 49% is just technical skills. This is how you clear. This is how you pour wine. This is how you mise a table. So if you can teach them the 49, great, but you can't teach them the 51. So I think that essentially... I was because when I talked to him, I was like, "Can you teach me how to break down the percentage?" <laughs> like I don't. don't you were like fifty-one. Like that seems that? that's an F. <laughs> <laughs> is this is this an unbalanced equation? Yeah. Or, yeah, I know. It took me a while. I at first when I got hired, I'm like, I don't understand this fifty-one thing. Um, but but you know, it's really it's a it's a great philosophy. Because so I came from about. San Francisco, so I was like 49ers. <laughs> Awesome. You're, you're like, I am a 49er. We're like, great. We're looking uh, for 51ers. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't um, so popular. Yeah. Totally kidding. Please go ahead. No, it's all right. Um, so I think that when I came, I just, you know, I was still somewhat fresh off. I'd only been back in the States four months. I was still, you know, 
so excitable about this crazy trip I just done. And yeah. I think that to him- You was, still are today. I still am today. I'm, yeah. I mean, hi, I just told you a funny story about how I found Radicon. Um, and hi, nice to meet you. My name's Liz. Did I tell you about Radicon? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I no, tend it to, comes off. I tend you know to be I mean? that way. Yeah. So um, In a good way, though. In the best way. I would like to think it's a good way. Um, so anyways, yeah, I just, you know, I met him and then I had to come back and meet- um, Meet our chef Nick Anderer and meet you know he made me meet all the man- management team and uh, then I actually had met Danny and my first day I met Danny and it's funny because it's actually the probably the most bizarre conversation I've ever had with him because I think oh really well Danny loves Italy he I think he feel like Maialino is a restaurant he's always wanted to open and so I think that the idea of letting this outsider come in oh okay, okay. and he had you know he he knew Stephen Mancini the previous wine director and I think that he probably had a lot of um suggestions on the opening wine list and so I think he was a little nervous at first like uh, who is this girl and you know he kind of was you know giving me breakdowns of what he really likes to see on the list but the amazing thing is that's the only time he ever once has made i i was like oh god i'm going i've got to make sure that i don't you know put any weird wines on that he doesn't like and right. the weird and the uh, irony of this is that 3 months later he was kind of like you know you've got this i love what you're doing and they've never they've never you know really they've allowed me creative license to kind of do do what I want there. Which is and, super important. Which is really important. I think that it's, you know, when you work a beverage program, it's it's a lot of hours. It's, you know, late nights. You are always constantly being thrown, um, you know, like little ringers like, oh, that wine came in. Oh, or the wine didn't come in. Or, right. oh, it switched vintages and this and that. Or, you know, the PDR blew through two cases of this wine and now we're 86 and we pour it by the glass. You know, you're always constantly juggling these things. And I think at the end of the day, if you're still allowed to essentially make your mark and make your own personal creative statement, then that's the that's the best thing. And for me, as somebody who came to New York to be a creative person, I think that it's really important for my own um personal brain and excitement and, you know, feeling like I'm still fulfilling that level of my, you know, personality. To get past the mundane yeah. details yeah. of the day. Yeah, and, and, and my GM is always like, Liz, I get it, you're a creative person, I know, because, I'm you know, they're like, structure, 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 and I'm like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> but so. how did that play out? Because I remember uh, when the restaurant first opened, there was a lot of kind of varietally-focused <laughs> wines, I felt like. There was kind of like Brunello, there was Barolo, and then there, there was, was like Pinot Noir, Nero, and, and there was a Chardonnay, right. and there which, was a Chianti. I know, it was a And very, they were varietally labeled, which is unique for, not often is that the case with Italy, where a lot of times it's hidden under the DOC. Yes, so. and it was a very straightforward wine list, and that was another reason. It was, was like scuba and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. and it was not that big. It was, it was, like, it was 89 bottles. 89 selections. 89 selections on the list when I started. And I don't know how I've crammed almost 350 now there. And Well, that's quite a bit bigger. It's, well, and especially considering I'm still working in the same space. I'm I'm on the verge of dropping, you know, um, dropping boxes from the ceiling in the cellar to just start having floating bins. <laughs> yeah, it's like those, uh, those like air guns that come yep. from the ceiling in the mm-hmm. mechanics place. So like, you just grab it and pull it down. Grab it and pull it down. And there's a whole other cellar in the ceiling. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's what I need. Definitely work on inventing one of those because I I would buy it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it was it was definitely a a very safe 
it was a safe list. And so I also wondered if that had a lot to do with the clientele. Uh-huh. And I wondered if I was like, you know, maybe I can't. Yeah. Maybe I can't really push the envelope here. You don't want to. Because Enotech was a little bit more like, this is super regional. Like, yeah. it was a little bit more like <clears throat> very obscure. And that's how I was That's how I was raised. I mean, that's right. the way I was, that's how my eyes were open to Italy. So, and I think it's really, I think that You're that like, idea. Where's the Lacrima Christi da Alba? I know. Yeah. We, so, we need those tears of Christ. Well, how did it, how, what, what did you so find? Were I, you able the first to? Thing, the first thing I did that was a little bit wonky, this was my test run, was I took off that Pinot Nero by the glass and replaced it with a stainless steel Galeopo, which obviously, you know, everyone knows Galeopo. And uh, that was my first test run. And it went well. And so then it was like slowly but surely, um, I just have now, I mean, I actually am in this weird moment where I'm back to this mildly approachable list because I have a Sauvignon Blanc and a Pinot Grigio by the glass right now, which I almost am like. Wow. And you admit it in public. And I stuff. admit it. But the yeah. Pinot Grigio is a Romato. Oh, right, right, right. So and it's get out of jail free card. Yeah, it's my get out of jail free card. And so I, I know I'm like, oh, I can't believe I have this. But but at the same time, do you time, find brushback on the Romato thing? Is like the person that's ordering the Pinot Grigio not expecting that? No, because when we we poured it by the glass previously, it's the Decimus from Avi Romans, and uh, it's, there's always the problem because Italy doesn't tend to oak a lot of their whites either, and if they sure. do, it's usually their top wine, and yeah. so it's not really in a by the glass um, price point. So, and I'm not saying actually it's a seventeen dollar glass; it's not a cheap glass of Pinot Grigio. So you kind of figure that there's a <clears throat> There's that price point that makes it a little bit more, but the staff is all trained in knowing that when, they know what's up. when somebody just says, oh, I have a glass of Pinot Grigio, they'll be like, okay, I just want to let you know, this is actually, um, it's going to be just a slight brush tint. It's called a Romato and there is some oak on it. And then that way it kind of gives that person who was like, oh, no, no, I just want something like light and crisp. And we obviously have plenty of things. And, you know, we have to talk a lot at, at Mylino about verbiage and, how to talk people into weird wines, but that's how I was essentially raised. So for me, it's like, this is what I've always done. I've, I've spent my whole wine career coaching people from international varietals into something Italian. And Is that I, kind of the, the burden of the, you know, or the joy of the Italian soul me? I think, I think that you have to look at it as a joy because yeah. at the end of the day, um, you know what? Like, the reason these little grapes exist, the Galeopos of the world and the, um, you know, Osaletas and all these little itty bitty guys. And the reason they exist is because someone in that region clung to tradition and they tr- clung to the fact that this was a regional grape and their father grew it or their grandfather grew it and whatnot. And they're going to keep the tradition. And I, in many ways, feel that at this point, I've kind of grown into this like ambassador level or a certain... To a certain degree, I've I'm, I've taken the time to learn them, and it's my job to make sure that the world knows about them too. And so that's why I would say it's got to be a joy because you've got to be excited and happy to tell people about these grapes because it's kind of like keeping them from becoming endangered. Because if we all just started drinking <clears throat> Chardonnay and Cabernet and Merlot, what would happen what would happen to all those little grapes? And they've been hanging on for hundreds of years there. And there's people that have for generations been cultivating them. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm here for them at this point. It's my job to make sure that I spread the love and make sure people still know about them and that they 
continue on for more generations and keep that culture alive. And have you found that getting the staff on your side in that process is helpful? Yeah, I think that at this point, I think that if you want to come work at Myelino, you've got to be somebody who is excited to learn because you need to you need to embrace it as well. Again, like if you're going to look at it as a burden, then go work someplace with an American list. If you want to, if you want to learn, and if you, if you know, sorry, I'll, I'll go on a mild tangent. People always say to me because I sometimes get really. Um, self-conscious about the fact that I'm such an Italian bread person and that I can't recite all the Grand Cruz of Burgundy and I, um, even though I love drinking it, um, and I, I, I can't like, you know, be as knowledgeable in other areas much as I try. And people always say to me, God, how did you ever learn Italy? I just, I look at it and it's just, it's too much for me. You know, almost a thousand native varietals. I just, I, I don't even understand how you ever even broke through. And to, and to me, it's, you know, it's one of those things that's like, well, you have to want to. You have to care. You have to want to know that Pelaverga is a grape that's only grown in the town of Verduno, which is at the top of the Brolo zone. And, you know, you just, you you have to find them interesting and fascinating. And if you are interested and fascinated, then you've got tons to learn in Mylino, whether you work there or whether you just come in to drink, because we pour almost 40 wines by the glass. I, actually, it really is 40. In fact, sometimes it's been more like 42. Um and we always are featuring um, a different region or grape or something. And so I would say that I've kind of built my Buy the Glass program as a, as a training ground for Italian wine. And how has that worked with the customers? Because, you know, Danny's really known for hospitality and making people feel comfortable. Um, has there been any pushback or has it just been cool? I would be lying if I said there wasn't pushback. I mean, and I shouldn't say pushback, but I, I just on last Sunday <clears throat> had to listen to a server just, you know, she was so upset because this guy was so mean to her because- I said she, I was sorry. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was you. <laughs> no, he, you know, he told her she, he liked Chianti and she tried to open his eyes to this other blend and then he hated it. And when she tried to make his suggestion, he told her, well, you didn't do so great the first time. And and so she just, uh, it was, you know, I was heartbreaking and listening to her. She was so upset and, you know, because she's one of my people. Who's she really, wants to do it. She, she's you know, trying to make the connection. She's trying to make the connection and do her job. And instead she just kind of got pushed down. And I know that she, and it was sad to see her. And I said, you know what? Hey, I'm like, you, you got to let these things roll off your back, you know? Don't let this, you can't let yourself feel like you can't, like if somebody says Chianti, just offer Chianti. It's like, you right. know, you you have to continue to do this. And I would say that nine out of 10 people are great because we've seen a huge uptick in our drinking scene in the bar. And I think that's- It's always busy when I go. And, but it's, I mean, it's, it's people who literally just come in just to treat it like a wine bar. And that's really great for us. Well, there um, are a lot of options. And you have that enomatic machine. Mm -hmm. We have the enomatic machine, which keeps 12 lines um, at temperature, which is my favorite part of it, and stored. I mean, to be honest, we we move wine so quickly that I've never once had to actually test the, like, does this really last the whole month they say it does? Because right. the wines turn place. over. And, we're, and, and for me, I'm always just excited when I can get things, when I have a slot for something in the machine, because it means one more wine that gets to be poured at temperature. But I mean, I feel like you've done some thematic work with the machine. Like you've done things that were, hey, we're gonna have 12 of this or 12 of that, whether it's region or grape or. We do. Um, currently we're in our second round of doing Nebbiolo. Um, my, so <clears throat> the other part of this backstory is that 
the company had purchased this 12-slot pneumatic machine when they were opening Mylino, and I wasn't with them then. And just, I think, in the craziness of opening, and it was just like, it kind of became this, like, burden, and they, and it just kind of got... Is that because of speed? Speed, well, you know, you're, you're opening, you're crazy, they're ripping through, they're opening a new bottle of things by the glass every five minutes. They can't keep loading bottles in and out of the machine, you're and, like, oh, the, you know... the cord goes in here and a spout yeah. through there. And, yeah, so yeah. I, they, they abandoned it, and so um, it just turned into this you know, beautiful display case, essentially right. showing what we were pouring by the glass, but they were The Vanna White it. of wine by the glass. It was yeah. a beautiful Vanna, <laughs> beautiful Vanna, and we didn't even have to buy our new dress. Um, so it was, it was just a showcase. It was a display case when I started and they said, hey, we would really like to get this back into use. And what do you think you can do? And knowing that they'd already faced the challenge trying to pour every wine, every red by the glass out of it was, didn't really work for them. I essentially created, we've got our normal by the glass, and then we have a secondary program, which is always a theme. And the opening theme was Nebula Bar. And the original theme for that one had been, I want to have, I'm like, okay, so we've got Gamay, we've got Tanara, we have Brolo, we have Barbaresco, we've got Langerware, like, you know, and then you've got Valtzelina and you've got, um, so I, I figured out there was 12 expressions. You also have Chiavanasca. They do it as a white expression up north and sparkling and rosé. And you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to showcase one selection of each of these different styles. And, um, and that was how we leapt off. And it, luckily it was, it was a huge, huge success. And so then after that, I was like, okay, well, what happens next? And then it was the great reds of Northeast Italy. And then it, we did Sicily erupts. And then we did the hills are alive with San Giovese, which is one of my favorite uh, titles. One of my servers came up with it. I can't take credit. But um, <clears throat> so we've essentially now keep using that machine to put a focus on either an area. We did the sum summer on the Adriatic this past summer. So it really covered, spanned several regions. It did, you know, Marche, Abruzzo, Puglia, even dipping up a little bit into Mil Romagna. And trust me, I had plenty of reps being like, but what about Friuli? What about the Colio? It's on the Adriatic. And I was like, I can't even, I can't even get into that can of worms or else it would just, there would be 40 wines on the Enomatic program alone. But um, it was, it's, it's, been a great tool, not only for the staff to kind of open their eyes, like, okay, here's the grapes you see from here. Or like right now we're doing Nebbiolo again and we're doing War of the Nebbioli. And uh, it's a North versus South expression because <clears throat> you've got the famous vineyards of Barolo and Barbaresco. And then, you know, the second most understandable wines, which, oh, Lange Nebbiolo, I know that. Oh, Nebbiolo de Alba, great. You have these expressions that from the Southern part of Piedmont, which are, you know, usually the more expensive and more classic, if you will. But then you have those great regions in the North. You've got Gemengatanara, and now we're increasingly seeing more wines from like Lasona and just Costa de la Sesia DOC, which is the river that separates Gamay and Gatinara and just wines that are kind of grown right around there. And then my all-time favorite, which is the Valtellina, and which is another, the furthest north expression you see of Nebbiolo. And then also dabbling, dabbling in a little bit into Valdosta. So we've got essentially a selection, I think nine selections from the north versus nine selections from the south. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you, do you find that customers are kind of coming back to the themes? Kind of like, hey, what's going on with this? It kind of gives them conceptually a framework. Yeah, actually, I think that the coolest thing about it is that, and not that you should discourage bottle sales, but people are opting to play by the glass versus just getting that one bottle. Uh -huh. So they and can try a few different things. So they things. can try a few different things. And it's it's really fun. And it's it's for me, it's, 
personally rewarding to let people know that there is all these Northern selections um, because I think that they're really beautiful wines in their own and um, they deserve a little more attention and they're really great values. And um, I always love to kind of let people, so sometimes, you know, especially if they're starting with a salad, is there any possibility? Like, great, you should try this nice lean Valtellina. And then when you get your steak, you know, or your Mylino al forno in the next course, that's when you can have that class of Barolo. And have you had a chance to get back to Italy itself on another trip? I did. I went twice this year. It was a good year. When were you there? I was there in uh, March and I went to my first in Italy. Oh, how was that? It was good. It was actually, I, I always, I, for as long as I've known about it, I'm like for years, but for like, you know, the five, six years that I've even known when Italy happened. Because that's the big wine fair. It's the huge wine fair in Verona. I imagine it to be like four days of going to Trebicchieri, which is like a headache by the end of the day. You're just exhausted. It's, you know, you've been beating the crowds down. You've been trying to like run and get those tastes of those wines, but it was actually not anything like Trebicchieri. What was, was it like? It's um, a, it's just outside the city and they basically build it out. They each Each region has its own huge kind of like Expo centery thing. Oh, really? So there's like a whole like yeah. separate building. Each each region has its own building, and then um, so you can just kind of go in and and you're walk around and see different regions. Now, technically, you really should work by appointment. You should be planned enough and focused ahead of time to. Oh, is that true? You're supposed to make appointments. Sub- I actually didn't know that. You are supposed to make appointments, but at the same time, like you know, you can still, especially if you if you know people and you show up and. They're like, oh my God, you're here from New York. They're not going to not make time for you. Um, but and that's kind of so, neat that it's arranged regionally. Yeah. And so you can really kind of just walk through. And, you know, it's like, it's funny. I We hadn't had a Lugana on the list. And, you know, Lugana is one of those categories. It's a white wine, you know, over from Lake Garda. Yeah. And sometimes it dips onto the Veneto side and sometimes it dips into the Lombardia side. It's, kind of, it's a region that actually, or is a wine zone that crosses the border. And some Luganas are simple and, you know, not exciting. And then I've I've had in my life a few that were cool. And so I remember just walking through, like, the Lugana producers and just being like, what's cool? What's happening? It was nice to be able to, like, get your eyes on, like, what's happening in this region because everyone's there. Is that difficult just in the New York sense? Because I feel like, okay, this guy's got one Lugana. That guy's got one Lugana. This importer brings in two Brunellos and and two Parolos, but that's what they bring in. Is Mm -hmm. it difficult to do the thing that you can do in France where you're like, hey, I really want to line up some Burgundies and try them as samples comparatively because it's so kind of with Italian wine, a little bit balkanized. Like this guy's got two, that guy's got two. It's fragmented. There are, some of the consortios have big tastings. Like I know there's, um, uh, what is it called? Benvenuto Brunello. Sure, Or, um, you know, I know that in like Chianti, obviously, especially the bigger consortios that have the money to do it, to have the, you know, budget to like host these giant tastings and groupings. But I kind of stopped going to some of them because I hate to tell you, I I mean, I hate to say this. I find that it's a lot of the, the little guys there that are really looking to get into the scene rather than right. like the really legit guys and that there's are, a reason that they're yeah, not on the scene. They're, they're like, I don't even need to be part of this big trade show because I already sell. I right. My wine's all allocated and I don't need to be popping bottles for the public to taste. You, know, you when, don't see Valentini hanging out. At yeah, the, you do not see Valentini. The there's so, definitely yeah. no Soldera at the Brunello. Right. Um, well, and there for, won't be for, I know, it's yeah. so sad. It's such a sad thing. Um, and I uh, so I would say that the best thing you can do is really know people's portfolios and 
putting some thought in before you just start tasting. You know, I don't I don't have time to to, to do every single tasting appointment. Is there really enough time to to have a great uh, multi-regional Italian list anymore just because there are so many importers and they all have a little bit? I mean, is it difficult? It is, it is. But I mean, at this point now, I, I'm mildly set in my ways. And mm-hmm. you have your people. I have my people. And at the same time, there's still movement. And I think it's important, excuse me, um, I think it's important to keep tasting and allow those doors to open for the new guys. But a lot of times I rely on my reps. I'll be honest. If if they got something that's really cool in their portfolio, my, if my rep comes to me and is like, we just picked up this dude who's never, ever exported to the U.S., you know, Neil or Doug or whoever, you know, found them on their last trip. Some Whoever who they work with said, hey, let me show you my friend's wines. And somehow, like... One wine that comes to mind right now is Pedarino. We're pouring the 96 Scotchnara now. 96 Scotchnara. This guy hasn't been exporting wine. They the the current vintage is 2001. That's crazy for Gatinara. Yeah. And the 96, they went to visit the estate and they he had it in tanks. And they were like, what are you doing sitting on this 96? And the guy was like, I don't have anywhere to put it. I just, what am I going to do with it? And they were like, well, I'll tell you what, you put this in bottles and you send it to the States and we'll take care of this for you. And they, Morgan Rich told me, I mean, seven months before the wine showed up, he said, as as I, because they came and said, we just got this great new Gatinara producer. And I picked it up and I was like, awesome. And they said, and and after that trip, they said, so guess what? Down the road, we're going to get some 96. And I was like, I'm doing Nebbiolo again in the fall. I want to pour that 96. Yeah. And I like literally just took my, I was like, I want you to put this much aside for me. And I had a, a free, when, when the invoice was, when it was actually coming, I had a moment that I thought to myself, I'm like, I haven't even tasted this, but this is a terrible idea. But it, it the juice is so fresh because it just got bottled. Like you would never even... Tasting a blind, you would never guess it was a 96. It's so beautiful. But aside from that, I feel like you guys often have some back vintage stuff, especially like chattered and kind of older Barlow, older Quintarelli. Is that kind of a strength as well? Or? It certainly is a strength. I um, <clears throat> I am nearing the end of some of my Poju Soto, which really brings the tear to yeah. my eye. Can you save some for me? <laughs> <laughs> I actually already had a guest come be like, where can I get this? I'm like, if you find out, tell me because right. I need more of it. Right. Well, Kermit Lynch is now going to be importing the wines. So. But it's changed ownership, right? Yeah. yeah. It has changed ownership. Granted, that is new now. And so the wine, the first wines that come in should still be essentially made by Piero mm-hmm. Pabucci. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you're like pouring it by the glass and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very for a very short time longer. I know you, where I'm going tonight. For you actually, or? this might be the last weekend of the 01 Poggio Soto Brunello. Really? Because that's a great year too. It's a great year, and it's a beautiful yeah. wine, and that's why I need to be um, selfish and save the rest of it for the bottle by the bottle list. But um, yeah, no, we've we've I'm I am very lucky in that I don't even bet. We're also pouring 96 Vinito Rule from Rocca di Manzoni by the glass, and um, and 03 Mascarello. So we, Bartolo. yeah, Bartolo. So chattered and stuff. Yeah, we're. But I mean, the fact that I can just be like, cool, I'm gonna pour that by the glass. I mean, it's. I'm lucky for the relationships yeah. that were forged before before my time that have. Because Danny was always close with Terry. Danny and yeah, and uh, and also Richard Crane, who's one of the other um, head partners at our country. He's at our company. It is almost like a country. It now. is almost like yeah, isn't a lot it? of burgers, close <laughs> production. Um, but Richard Crane is also very uh, was very tight with him. So. I'm I literally riding on the coattails of um, some of the founders of my company and their their connections, and that's great. Well, I think you're doing a good job too, Liz from Mylino. Thank you for being here today. Thanks, Levy.
All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.